Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. In this series, we're talking about uh, joy because he said, I have come that your joy and I've told you these things that I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I've told you these things that your joy may be overflowing. In other words, that your life will be filled with like this, uh, I don't know, it's just this joy that's there. It's always bubbling up. It's always coming. And if we're not careful, we will let uh, political situations, we will let financial situations, we will let family situations, we'll let church situations rob us of the joy in our life. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you, I, let, let's, let's well the joy up. We, we used to uh, sing this little song to the kids when Shay and I were in children's ministry, um, and it would say, uh, spring up, oh well, you know, uh, and, and it's like, spring up, oh well, squish, 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 that's how we sang it. Um, and I can't remember all the other words, but the, it's, it's about when we are at a time, we have the ability to summon, for the lack of a better word, call forth the, the joy that's in our soul. It might not seem like it's present, but you, but, you, but you call it up. You call up the joy of the Lord in you. And I want to encourage you because we all have those times where we are not joyful. We don't feel joyful. Our emotions get to us. And it's like in that situation... We need to remind ourselves, I am a man of fill in the blank. I am a man of fill in the blank. I had to do this for myself yesterday. I'm like, I am a man of peace. I'm a man of peace. I don't have to lose my cool. I'm a, I'm a man of joy. I can have joy in the middle of this situation. And so call it up, okay? And I want you to be verbal with me in this message. I want you to come into agreement with me in this message at different points. So this morning as we're talking about joy, we've talked about throughout the Christmas story, when we look at the Christmas story and we talk about the Christmas story being the annunciation of Jesus' birth. In other words, Jesus is coming into the world. What The shepherds, they were filled with joy. Uh, Jesus is coming into the world. Uh, the, his... Um, uh, forerunner, John the Baptist, he, his family, the people were filled with joy. Uh, Mary was filled with joy. It came a little bit afterwards, as we learned last week. At first, she was startled. Joseph, at first, he was startled because the news was shocking about what was going to happen. But once they got their bearings, that's why it's important to pause. That's why it's important to pray through the situation and not overreact. Because once they got their bearings, they saw what a good thing it was was. And then Mary, after all of that, she breaks out into this song of praise. She starts writing a song of praise about what was about to happen and how God was going to use her in that situation. So now we're going to dive over into Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to talk about the wise men. And there's so much about the wise men. I love the study of the wise men. There's a lot of material there. And uh, I'm really not here to, to preach a lot of that and go into deep detail about the wise men. 
Because a lot of things that we learn through videos and cartoons and church nativities is not uh, chronologically accurate. So, you know, we just try to shove them all onto the stage so that we can just, you know, kind of get a condensed, abridged version of what's happening. But chronologically, all of that is not uh, completely accurate. But they are a very important part of the Christmas story. And they are a very important part of what's showing us what joy looks like, all right? So as we look at this, I want to just talk to you this morning about really giving, about the joy of giving. I don't know if you, about you, but I, get, I can get real excited about the joy of receiving. <laughs> you know, that's, I didn't understand that verse in the Bible. Uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But I, I get the joy of giving. I get that. That's natural to me, but, uh, or, or the joy of receiving. That's natural to me, but the joy of giving is not natural to me. And so I'm like, mm, got to work through that one a little bit. But I remember one time, uh, Shay and I, we were teenagers and we were, we were dating. I think I was about 17 years old. And um, so things are really getting serious for us. And I, we come from Mississippi, so you can get serious about 17. Because uh, we got married at 18 and 19, okay? Uh, so we are getting really serious. And uh, so you know it's getting serious when you start getting invited to your girlfriend's family functions. You know it's getting serious then. And so we are going out of town on Christmas Day to like the next little town over. It would have been like going from here to Pensacola. We were going to her grandmother's house for Christmas. That was their tradition. So I'm getting invited to Grandma Sibley's house for dinner, for Christmas uh, activities. And so we go over, and she's just a sweet little old lady. She's with Jesus now. And um, so I don't know what kind of TV they got up there uh, uh, Grandma Sibley, but if you're watching, I'm telling this about you. She, uh, she served us do, uh, dinner, uh, dinner and all of that. And after dinner, it was time for us to exchange gifts. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm just here kind of like a, as a spectator uh, in the family. And I'm just watching them give gifts. And uh, little, little Grandma Sibley, she's going around and she's passing out all of the, the gifts. And she comes to me and she gives me a gift. And I'm like, it shocked me. I was not expecting a gift because I'm an outsider and I'm just here to look and observe and hopefully get accepted by this family. Um, And so uh, Shay's sitting next to me and I think her sister and they start giggling. And I'm like, what? And they're like, well, we're just excited to see what you're going to get. And uh, I'm like, well, I'm sort of excited about it too. I didn't know I was going to get a gift, but yay. And um, so you have to understand, man, I'm 17 years old. I'm a senior in high school, okay? And so we get down and everybody's opening their gifts. So we open them one at a time. So it's like everybody gets to see the expression on your face. Everybody gets to see everything, you know? And it's like, oh, look at Shay's gift. That's so awesome. That's just what you wanted. And I get to mine and dude, they are just like about to come unglued on each side of me, Shay and her sister, because they just can't wait to see what uh, Grandma Sibley has, has gotten me. And I open it, and it is a, a uh, brass owl. A, it's about this big. It's a brass owl. And I'm like, 
I don't know what it is or what to do with it, you know. And so I open this, and I'm like, oh, it's what I always wanted. Like, I was hoping I got one of these for Christmas. And they're dying laughing. I'm, like, embarrassed. I don't know what to do. But, you know, I, as I thought about it more and more, that meant so much to me because she thought enough of me not to leave me out. And the, after, you know, the, the situation had kind of died down and they're laughing and all that, they're like, we were just waiting to see what she was going to give you because sometimes she just grabs stuff off of her shelves to give to people. <laughs> And she's like, she probably just grabbed that off the shelf and is like, I need something for Rife. Let's see, owl, you know. And um, I mean, if you saw her other stuff, it was actually a really good gift. It could have been like a talking mechanical duck or something like that. So, I mean, it, all in all, is a really good gift. But I, I kept that gift for years. And I, we kept it in our house on a little shelf. And it was just a reminder to me that... You know, giving is important. Like, giving is important. And she didn't want me to be left out. She wanted me to be included. And I learned a valuable lesson right then about, about giving. And it's more about the heart of the matter instead of what the, the actual gift is. And so she had a very generous heart. And I thank her for teaching me uh, about that. So I want to just share this with you. You can't worship Jesus without giving to Jesus. You can't worship Jesus without giving to Jesus. We need to let this sink in today, guys. You cannot worship, say it with me, you cannot worship Jesus without giving to Jesus. You can't worship him without giving to Jesus. Giving in some aspect. So when we come this morning, there's some aspect of giving that you and I must do. It's, is it a requirement, Pastor Rife? Yes, it is a requirement. Worship in and of itself, in, in its nature, is giving. If I'm worshiping, I'm giving to some degree in some aspect or at some level. But you cannot worship Jesus without giving to Jesus. Now, you've heard me say you cannot... Uh, you'll never be more like Jesus than when you're serving. But you'll never be more like the Father than when you're giving. I want to, I want to say it again. Because I've preached a message on serving before. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve the people of the earth. I came to serve my people. And so we'll never be more like Jesus than when we're serving. But the Father, I'll never be more like the Father than when I'm giving. He's the ultimate giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He's a giver. And so he's constantly giving. And if I want to be like the Father, I become a giver. I want us to turn in our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 2. And I want to share a couple of verses on the screen with you right quick. Acts chapter 20. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I didn't understand those words as a teenager. Because I just had the mentality of receiving. 
I like to receive. It's fun to receive. It's not real fun to give because giving costs you something. It's good to receive. Receiving doesn't cost me anything. I just get. How in the world is it better to give than to receive? How is that possible? I couldn't reconcile those in my young 17-year-old mind. But Jesus said that. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So how is it more blessed? How? Y'all ever ask questions like that when you read scripture? Because he didn't, he didn't right there, he didn't really uh, extrapolate that. He didn't draw it out. He didn't really explain it. He just simply said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do it. But I'm the kind of person, I'm like, well, if it's more blessed, then how is it more blessed? I want to know how. So you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 and 8, says this. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves it. I'm, I'm going to answer that, how is it more blessed, in a second. But the scripture says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Like he loves it. It's something that evokes um, pleasure in the Lord's emotions. Like when we give, when we sacrifice, when we, when we give something away, when we serve in some way, it blesses the Lord. It, again, it evokes emotion in him. He is pleased and it bring, brings pleasure to him. And look at verse 8 because this is what answers the question of how is it more blessed to give? And God generously provides all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Let me unpack it for you. So why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Because my friend, listen, when you are a giver, you not only have that to give away, but the Lord blesses you with all you need. Not just all that you need, but plenty left over. The scripture says it this way, exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine. So much so, the scripture says, that you couldn't even contain it if you tried. It'll just be running over. So why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Because when you take one seed and you plant that seed out of that doesn't rise up a plant that just gives you a seed back. Are you following me? Well, you only get one seed in an avocado. Yes, but the tree does not just produce one avocado. Are you following me? One seed produces many seeds. And so when you give, it, it produces, Scripture says, God gives seed to the sower. In other words, when you give, God produces a harvest of seeds. That's why it is more blessed to give than to receive because it releases this principle, this biblical principle that God now, he sees your heart. So God's never going to ask you to give away your, la listen to me, your last one and leave you with nothing. He might call you to give away your very last one. He might call you to give up your very last of anything, but God is going to restore it with more than you had before. 
look, that's just a principle. It's just a biblical principle. So that's why it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm telling you, if you can ever get that in your spirit, if you can ever become a generous person, and many of you are, if you can ever get to the place where, man, I'm telling you, just give it away, give it away, give it away, give it away. My wife came in there the other night and she asked me, this is actually last night, and she asked me, did you give away, I I don't know all the circumstances around it, uh, but she must have seen one of my uh, clothing pieces in my son's luggage or something. And she just came in and she asked me, did you give, did you, did you give Noah this uh, particular item? And, uh, you know, she was probably just making sure that, you know, we don't, because we, you know, we just get our stuff all mixed up. I leave stuff every time I go somewhere kind of thing. And, you know, here's, here's where I am with that. Like, I, sh- I usually share with him, hey, while you're home, if there's anything you want in my closet, because we're at that age where, you know, he actually wears a little bit bigger uh, shoe size than me. He hadn't caught up to me in pants yet. But, uh, but I- I'm like, if you see anything in there, why don't you just go in there? If you see anything in there that you like, y- you know, you can take it. And, and I don't really go back to see what he's taken. I might regret that one day, but I don't really go back in there and, um, and, and regret that. I do remember one time I went and I was looking for a certain pair of shoes and I went to get those shoes and I'm like, where do those shoes go? Like, oh, I'll bet that sucker took those shoes. Well, I did say anything. And so, but when you begin to just have a heart just of generosity, it's like things really don't matter to you anymore. Material things, they just don't matter to you anymore. And it's like, man, if they're going to have fun wearing that or using that or enjoying that, it brings me joy that they're having joy. So that's why it's more blessed to give than to receive because God loves a cheerful giver. God is going to supply. Hear me. God is going to supply. He's going to fund. He's going to funnel the kingdom. Oh, God, I love this. He's going to funnel the kingdom through generous souls. Do you hear what I'm saying? He is going to fund the riches of heaven through or funnel through. God's just a big old kingdom money launderer. <laughs> Listen to me. You, you know what I'm saying? He's just running the kingdom through us. And if he can find some folks that just will open up and be generous, he will launder the kingdom's money through us. I'm, y'all don't get upset with me. I'm just being facetious. But he will take what's in the kingdom and he will use us as a vessel to get it wherever uh, he needs to get it. Look at this, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're just going to kind of take it slow. I'm going to share a few things uh, as I'm reading through it that the Lord has illuminated to me. And so uh, before we dive into this, what has happened? Jesus has already been born in the stable. We don't know chronologically, we don't know how much time has passed between now and when the wise men show up, but it's months. It might even even be, you know, a year to two years as they show up. So they're not getting the little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in the manger. They're showing up at, at Jesus' house. 
and, and they're showing up possibly to a little Jesus that's, that's, that may be pulling up on things or, or maybe he's teething at this point, probably teething. And, and, and you know, he's running around the house. There, that's the context that this is. And so in verse 1, it says, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, about that time, about what time? About the time of the reign of King Herod. Listen, that's important. If you go back to last week's message, it was about trials and tribulations and how to maintain my joy and how Jesus can help me have joy in that. Listen, about the time, about the time of King Herod's reign, here comes hope. Listen to me now. About the time of King Herod's reign, here comes the hope of glory. In the middle of chaos, King Herod was not the Roman emperor. King Herod was like a subordinate king, okay? And, but he was ruthless. He was rude. He was mean. He would, you know, just have people killed who he didn't like. And it was a time of oppression. You know, we sing that, all oppression shall cease. It was a time of oppression. It was a time of government, uh, you know, heaviness. That was the time Jesus was born. In the time of your heaviness is the time Jesus is going to show up, church. I'm telling you. Like, we don't get overwhelmed by your situation because Jesus will show up. Not only will Jesus show up, but help will show up from somewhere. About that time is what the, it says about the wise men. About that time, that same time, the wise men, here comes the Calvary, here, here comes help. About that time, verse, I'm still in verse uh, one, wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it arose and we've come to worship him. All right, there's so much stuff to unpack right there. They're like, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've come looking for him. Well, first of all, uh, remember, I ask questions. First of all, who told you that there was a newborn king being born? Like, where did you find that? Because there's 400 years of silence going on right here where God's not spoken anything. But, oh, come on, man. There's a Holy Ghost right, right here. But they weren't waiting for God. They, they didn't just stop. Because God wasn't speaking. These guys got into the word. God's not speaking. God's not speaking. I need God, God to speak to me. Oh my God. Brothers, sisters, uh, brothers and sisters, I'm just telling you. He may not be speaking in a way that, that like you, you're wanting to hear him. But I'm telling you, God is always speaking through this. What, what did they do? They went to the holy word the versions that they had. It wasn't complete yet, but they went to what they had. And they're over there reading in Micah, what we call Micah chapter five, uh, five verse two. But they're just in the book of Micah, you know. And they, they begin to see there is, a, there is a king that will be born in Bethlehem. And a star will, will, will be a prominent uh, uh, symbol that signed to you. And so they're reading this and they're like, has any of this happened yet? You know, like we look at Bible prophets, they're like, has any of this happened? Have, let's go back in our records, let's look. And they're like, this has not happened. 
you know, and they're like, hey, we've got to be looking for this. So they begin to look for the signs. The sign was the star. So they're like, we're going to be looking. So these, these aren't kings, but they're noblemen. They're, they're very wealthy, they're very wise, and they were astrologers. They were astronomers. Uh, let me take that back. They were astronomers, not astrologers. We're not talking about, you know, uh, Sister Marie uh, reading your palm type thing. You know what I'm saying? Y'all see these Sister Marie and Sister whoever uh, reading palms all over the, the county? They, they weren't astrologers like that. They were astronomers. They knew the, the, the heavens, they studied the heavens, they were looking at the heavens, and this was a sign. And so when they saw that star, they followed that star. And so they're like, this is where we're going to go. We're going to go to where that star is. There's a lot that I'd love to stay, say about the star, but that's not the purpose of this message, so I'm, just, I'm not, I'm not going to say it. But they followed that star, and so they arrived and they said, we have seen his star as it, as it arose and we've come to worship him. Circle those words, worship him. Because this states the intent of their journey. This states the intent of their journey. Like when you woke up this morning, did you, did you wake up and go, it is time to go worship him? When you were getting the kids in the car, did you say, hey, kids, y'all, let's, come on, we're going to church. That's what we said. That's what, that's what everybody will say. I'm not downing you for that. I would probably be saying it too if I had kids at home. But our intent is we are going to worship him. We are, we have, they have come to worship him. So we're going to look at what worship looks like in a minute. But their whole goal was not to go see what he looked like. Let's go see if he looked like Mary. I want to see if he looks like Mary's side of the family or Joseph's side of the family. I want to see if he has all 10 toes and 10 fingers. I want to see this. They, none of that, none of that was the purpose. They wanted to go and lay their eyes on the Messiah whom they had looked for, for all this long time. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of debt. Uh, uh, sorry, I don't even know where that came from. I, I claim it. I'm not going into a lot of debt. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on the wise men and who they were. But they were pagans at one time. Now they are Gentiles who believe in the coming of the Messiah. So they probably are from that time when they were off in Babylon and uh, David was put as the chief over all of the astrologers. So these are probably uh, descendants of many years of disciples from Daniel. And so they're coming from this foreign land out of where they used to be uh, uh, in exile. And as they come, they've only heard stories about this. They're not over there practicing their faith fully, probably like they wanted to, but they're looking forward to going and seeing what all of this prophetic uh, stuff is all about. So when they get there, verse 3 says this, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, just real quickly, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Because I'm king. Herod's thinking, I'm king. And y'all have come to worship a newborn king? Where's he at? Because 
I'm the king. I'm on the throne. You know, there's one of these old, uh, I can't remember his name, um, Mel something, but he, he, he wrote this uh, movie and he's like, it's, it has this one line in there and it's like, he says, it's good to be king. Do y'all remember that? It's, I, I'm talking to the old folks in here. Drew's the only one shaking his hand, uh, head, so he's the oldest one. So listen, yeah, so here we go. This is what his mindset is. His mindset is, it's good to be king. I'm the king. I'm not happy about the news that you're bringing. I'm disturbed, but he's putting on his poker face. He's not letting everybody know he's disturbed. He's not letting anyone know that his kingdom is being threatened. And here's the more disturbing part of that. It says that King Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Now, if you've been looking for the Messiah... Think about this. Oh, come on, church folks. If you've been looking for the Messiah, why would you be disturbed at the news that he's here? All right, I'm fixing to turn it on us, okay? Why is it that sometimes we, as the church, we say we want revival, but when revival starts finally breaking out, Why is it that we're threatened by that? Oh, God's using this person on the keyboard more than he starts using me. And it's like, oh, it was all fine and good while you were the star. But now that God's anointing is resting on someone or, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it was great while we had it like this. But these new people that are coming in, mm, I, I don't know about that. Oh, we pray Our mission is to love God, love people, and prove it. Oh, we talk about reaching out to the homeless. We talk about reaching out to the prostitute. We talk about reaching out to those who are transgenders or homosexuals or whatever. But oh, when they start showing up in church, all of destiny is troubled. Let's not be like that, okay? They, they've been praying for the Messiah. They've been wanting the Messiah. They've been longing for the Messiah. The Messiah is here. And it's like, well, hang on a second. We wanted him, but we didn't know he was going to show up now. Hey, it's been 400 years. We maybe go another century or two. But no, Messiah had come at exactly the right time. And so look in verse 4. Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. And he asked, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? So he's asking the Jewish priests, okay? So he's, it would be the equivalent of the mayor of Daphne would come and ask me, where's he going to be born, all right? And so the chief the leading priest and the teachers and of the religious law, he said, where's he going to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. They said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will, who will be the shepherd for my people. All right? The leading priest knew where he was going to be born. They knew the details outlined 
as well as the wise men. They are in the mother city. Like they, they, they're, they're not far off somewhere. They are in the capital city of, of, of Jesus' reign. And they did not know. They knew the word. Listen to me. They knew the word, but they were not practicing it. They knew the word, but they, they were not even anticipating in it. They knew the word, but they weren't even, had no hope in it. How many times are we, church, listen to me, how many times are we like this? We, we hear sermons preached on healing, but we'll, we'll walk in sickness. How many times do we hear sermons preached on giving, like this one today, yet we will go on and we will not be givers? How many times do we hear about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Spirit, but we go on and live spiritless and powerless lives. How many times do we, do we know the word, but the scripture says, and I try to end every message with an application. The scripture says, we're not supposed to be hearers of the word. We're not supposed to be walking uh, seminaries of the word. We are supposed to be doers of the word. The, uh, the word is supposed to be active in our faith. We are supposed to be living out the word of God that is in us. And so he says, you know, tell me where he's going to be born. They told him here. And then Herod, in verse 7, called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them when the time the star first appeared. And then he told them, so I want you to go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me also so that I can come and worship him too. So now... Herod says his motive is going to be to worship him. But we know that's not true. Because Herod was a ruthless, he wanted to bash baby Jesus' brains out. He wanted to throw him from the temple wall, from the temple mount wall, the city wall. He wanted to kill him. That was not his motive. He said, I want to worship him. But it wasn't his motive. In verse 9, um, after this interview, this meeting, the wise men went their way. And the, the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Now, I just want to stop for just a second and talk about the star for just a second. Y'all, the star, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm changing my mind just a little bit. The star was not like a star up in the heavens. That star doesn't exist right now. You know, we see stars and those stars millions and millions and millions of years old. This is not one of those stars. When you go out into the, the, the night and you look up in the sky and you say, I wonder which one of those appeared 2,000 years ago. Was it the North Star? No, it doesn't exist. It was created for him. It was his star. It was a supernatural star. It wasn't, it was... What we call in uh, the, the theological world, it was, um, it was an epiphany. It was this thing that just happened out of nowhere. Um, the star was uh, created for him. It was created only for that time period. And the star it operated not like the stars in the heavens. They don't uh, move. Technically, they are moving, but when you go outside and look at them, they're moving at a rate that we can't tell they're moving. 
just like we can't tell the earth is moving right now. But the wise men, they could visibly see it move. But if you'll really study the scripture, the first time that, it, that they went to Bethlehem, it didn't move. It was already over Bethlehem. So the star wasn't moving. They followed the star. Now the star reappears, but it's moving this time. And it's guiding them. And it's leading them to the place where Jesus was born. And when it, it says that when it got, I think it's in here somewhere. We'll, all right, verse 9. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. All right, think about this. They're following the star. They're following it. It's moving. It's glowing. It's like the Shekinah glory of God. It's moving. It's just like the fire and the pillar of fire and the clouds by day of the Egypt, uh, of the, when they were uh, uh, liberated from Egypt and they were wandering around in the wilderness. This, this is one of those. And so it stops and this is why they were overjoyed because, you know, when you get to your final destination, this peace, this joy that comes over you. I mean, if you're going to Disney World or if you're going to the mountains for vacation, I mean, the journey is not always the fun part of the trip for me. That's just not, you know, I don't enjoy that. If, you, if you're going to stop and sometimes you can have, you have people say, well, there's joy in the journey. Well, it depends on what journey you're going on. Because sometimes the journey ain't joyful to me. Kids screaming and, you know, having to drive in the rain, all these different things. But when you get to the end of your journey, of the destination, when you can stop, unload, enjoy the surroundings, enjoy the setting, what happened is they recognized this star had stopped and it's like, boys, this is it. I mean, dude, we have traveled hundreds of miles. We've come across desert. We've come across dune. We've come across mountain and gone through valleys. And now we are about, like, it's over. We don't, we've met with the king. We've done all these things. But guys, we are fixing to lay our eyes on the creator of the universe. They were super excited about this, guys. And so they were overjoyed, the scripture says. Verse 11 says that they entered the house, circle entered, however it says it in your translation. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed, circle that. They bowed down and worshiped him, circle worship. And they opened, circle that, they opened their treasure chest and they gave, circle that, him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There are four things that the wise men show us. Number one, they searched, they traveled. The scripture says this about us spiritually. If you seek me, says the Lord, you will find me. Like if you are hungry for God, don't worry, you'll be filled those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. If you are hungry for more of God, you'll get more of God. They searched for him. They had to go on a journey. A lot of people, uh, uh, 
talk about the wise men and how they, you know, when they, when they went to Jerusalem that they missed the place where he was truly born in Bethlehem. Well, you know, I don't get too caught up in that. It wasn't like they were lost. They were searching. They were searching. And it's not that I'm lost. I tell my wife that sometimes. She's like, you're lost. I'm like, I don't, I'm not lost. I'm just on a tour right now. I'm just, you know, we're taking a tour. We're taking a scenic route. They were searching for him. And the reason they went to the capital city, uh, the reason they went to the king's palace is because that's where kings are born. That's where, that's where kings show up. That's where kings live. And so they went to the place where they thought they would find the king. And they did find the king. It was the wrong king. And so, you know, they end up and the star guides them. So they traveled they search for him. I want to tell you, church, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but you ain't there yet. Listen to me closely. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but you are not there yet. There's not a person in this room, me, no elder, no teacher. There's, there's no one in this room that's finished with their journey yet. Listen, if you finish with your journey, you better hope you're on your way to see him. We are not finished with our journey. Every single person in this room is still searching. So where are you? Here's the question. It's not rhetorical. Where are you in your spiritual journey? Where are you in your spiritual journey? And it doesn't mean like, man, I just ain't there yet. I, I want to get there, brother, but I just ain't there yet. Well, I'm not either. I'm not there It's not about where you are in the journey. It's about where are you going? Forward, advance, and accelerate are the words that the Lord gave us. We are made to go forward. We are not made to sit still. We are made to grow. We are not made to just stand there. We are, our knowledge base is made to expound. I don't have the numbers on it, but, but uh, scientists, me medical folks, they tell us that we use very small portion of our brain. There's still so much more, and we haven't figured out how to unlock that. But one day we will. It'll be fully unlocked. They searched for him and they traveled. Are you searching for him? I just, it's a question. Are you still searching? Because sometimes, guys, we stop searching for him. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth, right? We stop searching for him. We get okay with, what, with this. We get okay with this. Because we got other things in our life to kind of keep us pacified. But it's like, guys, I'm just telling y'all, this is not... Uh, enough. This is okay. This is not enough. It's not enough for us. What are we going to do about it? We got to search him. We got to keep searching. We have to go, what is next? What is more? Are you following me? And I'm not talking about just to do stuff for the sake of doing. I'm talking about to draw close to him. He said, if you'll draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. But here's the deal. If we I, you, draw close to him. He'll draw close to us. Many people are looking for an outpouring of God's spirit in their world, but they are not looking uh, to do anything about it. They're looking for God to pour his spirit out. I'm talking to the church family, and if you are a leader in this house, if you are a leader in this house, because there's more, uh, the scripture says this very clearly, that those of us who profess to be leaders in the church, more is required of us than those who are not leaders. 
So if you're a leader in this house, in any area, I'm asking you, I'm telling you, I'm begging you. If we want more, we have to give more. If we want more, we have to invest more. We have to, we have to be, uh, you know, hungrier than we are right now. If we're not, we get what we have right now. Are you following me? Man, come on, let's get hungry. Let's be willing to do more. Let's, let's, let's say, this is okay, but this is not okay. That might need to become a new saying around here. Hey, this is okay. We can just get by with this. This is okay, but it's really not okay because he has, he has called us to bigger and greater things. Hear me when I say bigger. I'm not talking about mega church. I'm not even talking about numbers. I'm talking about a intensity and a greater place in his presence. All that other stuff will happen if it, if it happens. I'm talking about a greater place in the realm of his spirit. But they searched for him is the first thing. But they also did this. They showed up. The scripture says when they showed up at his house, they entered in. Like there's an entering in. And church, can you just hear me for a second? Hear my heart as a spiritual leader. Like many times when we enter this room, and I'm talking about this house, but I'm telling you I could take this and apply it to multiple other churches, just pretty much any general church. But when we show up at the house of God, we show up, but we don't truly enter in. Well, I'm here, you know? And you've even heard people say that. Well, I'm here. We can get started, I guess. I'm here. How you doing, man? How you doing today? I'm here. I'm here. Just be thankful that I graced God with y'all and the Lord with my presence. You know, I'm here. I'm here. My body's here. I'm here in spirit. Body, maybe not spirit. You know, that, are you following me? That is not good enough. Like, they showed up, but they didn't just show up. They entered in. There are times, I'm telling you, like this morning, I don't know what happened to us, but we struggled in worship. I don't know what happened. But we struggled. That first song, we got lost. And I do want to tell you this, like Elias over here on the drums and these guys mus musically, but I'll, I'm just going to highlight Elias because he's, he's the youngest and the newest. But you know, like when you get lost, uh, and, and, and that first song, we just got lost. I don't know what happened, but we got lost. And it's like we had, it's like, okay, we're going to get back on track. We're going to get back on track. Nobody panic. It's not the end of the world. We ain't at the, you know, uh, the New York Metropolitan Opera or anything. You know, we're here. It's in our living room. We're just worshiping our God. It's, this is home for us. But, you know, for, for him to follow us and be able to get back on track, that's a pretty big deal. And it can be very scary. When you, know, when you don't know what's happening and you can't read everybody's mind. Why do I say all that? Because something like that can very easily go, yeah, I'm just done. I can't worship with this. <laughs> I just, good God, it's a train wreck. <laughs> just crash. Mature believers don't do that. Mature believers don't do that. Mature believers enter in. Mature believers press through. 
mature believers go because I know that if at the end of the time, the, the goal is not for this to be perfect. The goal is even if we had to say, okay, just stop, 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 stop. Everybody stop. Shh. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. He is here. Holy, holy, I will. What am I doing? I'm pressing through. I'm pressing in. I'm entering in. I'm not going to let something, because that's what it is when you enter in. You're just going, hey, dude, I'm just telling you, the Lord is going to be magnified. The Lord is going to be glorified. And four things that we can uh, learn from these guys. The second is they entered in. They entered in. When they entered into that place, the third thing was this. They surrendered. They bowed down and they worshiped him. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Like you've got to understand, man, how bizarre this looked. How strange this looked. These are dignitaries. You understand their caravan had to be hundreds of people. Like they've come months and months and months and hundreds of miles across the desert to, they don't know what they're going to find. They showed up at the palace and they thought they were going to be at the palace and be housed within the palace. But now the star's leading them somewhere else. And it's like, you know, the star's leading them. And if the star were Siri, it'd be like, take a right here at, you know, Melchizedek Street. You know, go down three blocks and, you know, on Zachariah Avenue, take a left. And like, by the time they're, man, they're, they're so deep back up in Bethlehem that they, they're like, is, is, is this it? Surely this is not it. You understand, these are dignitaries. These are people that, Man, just the, the clothes that they had on probably uh, were more than your whole house is worth. These, these are dignitaries. And they enter in this little, you know, I mean, Mary and Joseph just got married. Think back to your first house, your first apartment, your basement that you lived with your mom and dad for, you know, 12 months. I remember that little apartment that Shay and I lived in probably, you know, 800 square feet, mustard, carpet, colored carpet. It was terrible. <laughs> think, of, think of all of a sudden you open your door and dude, there's like CIA out there and there's like, you know, dignitaries from, from another country. Just, you know, you're, and you're like, what? Hey, <laughs> can I help you? We've come to worship the king. And they come into this very humble place. Not as humble as the stable, but they come into this very humble place. And these dignitaries, all of the sudden, they begin to bow down. And they begin to worship. Think of how strange this is now. Now, Mary and Joseph, Joseph's not at home. He's out making some bacon. He's, you know, doing his carpenter thing. But here they are. And think of how weird it must have been for Mary to go, okay, little baby, you know, who, who knows what Jesus was doing? Maybe he was gnawing on the couch or something. And, you know, I mean, we think like Jesus was all, 
you know, divinely behaved as a kid, you know. I mean, I wonder, they're bowing down. Is Jesus have a rattle and he's bonking the wise men on their head or something? Like, they're worshiping. They're surrendering their dignity for him. They're surrendering everything they are, their position and their saying. You understand, when you bow, the purpose of bowing is to say, I am lower than you and you are higher than me. In, in the Asian tradition, you know, it's understood that whoever bows the lowest is showing the greatest amount of honor. They are worshiping him. They are bowing and kneeling and saying, this little guy right here, we submit ourselves, we surrender ourselves to you. You are mightier than we are. You are wealthier than we are. You are more than we are. And they worshiped him. And when we come, this is something that you and I can learn. When we come to worship, we are coming to surrender ourselves. That's why I was able to learn how to worship in a way that God loves to be worshiped. Because when I came into the house, I worshiped him the way I wanted to worship him. I worshiped him in a way that didn't allow me to sacrifice my dignity. I'll worship you. I, I'm not going to raise my hands because I'm too cool for that. I'm not going to raise my hands for that. So, you know, I didn't. For the longest time, I'd worship and I'd have my hands in my pocket, basically so I could lock them there. I'm not going to worship him. That's, I, I, I know what the preacher says. I know what the word says. You know, I, I, I know all that, but I'm not going to do that. But when I sacrificed and surrendered my dignity to him, I can lift my hands. I can dance even though it's not pretty. I can leap even though, you know, somebody might be thrown off by it because I'm doing it unto the Lord. They surrendered. Are you surrendered? Have you just surrendered everything to him? If you haven't, I'm asking you to consider, I, I would just tell you to do it, but I don't have control over your will. And even if I did, that wouldn't be surrender. You have to truly get to the place where you surrender yourself. And then lastly, he, they sacrificed. They gave of their treasure. The scripture says they went in, so they entered, they bowed down, worshiped him, and then they opened their gifts. There's so many things, guys, about this that we can get from it. Number one, they did not show up and go, you know, it would have been smart if somebody had brought something. Balthazar, you got any spare coins that we could just drop in the, you know, you guys? They did not show up unprepared. What, what, what did I say at the very beginning of this? You cannot worship Jesus without giving to Jesus. They came bearing gifts because they planned to. Because they understood that worship, when you worship, they understand that worship just includes and incorporates giving. Guys, what did they do? They went in. The scripture says they opened their treasure. The scripture says this about treasure. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If your treasure is that nice, big old 50-foot bass, whatever, boat, I don't even know if that's possible. But 
then that's, that's if, if that's your treasure, then that's where you're going to want to spend all your time. That's where you're going to spend all your money. And you're not going to have stuff left over because that's an expensive, you know, no. But when that's not your treasure and Jesus is your treasure, you'll have enough left over for that. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where their treasure was, their treasure was not really in, in that box, that treasure chest. Where their treasure was, it was right in front of them. They were looking at the thing that they treasured. How do you know they treasured that more? Because of how far they came, because of the sacrifice of the miles, the sacrifice of the money. They didn't just go on a trip and go, when you go on a trip, do you just go, well, I'm not even going to think about how much it costs. I'm just going to go. We're just going to pack up in the car. No, nobody does that. You do not do that. You calculate how much the hotel is going to be, how much the food is going to be, how many days are you going to be there, all of the activities that are going to be included that you got to pay for, all of, you know, a little bit of extra in case something goes wrong. You calculate all of that. When they went on this trip, they had that, but they brought extra. They brought something to worship the king with. And you know they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's significance in those. I'm not going to talk to you about the significance of them. But these are the things, guys. If we want to grow into giving, we've got to search, man. If we, if we want to grow into a deeper relationship, if we want to grow to be a deeper giver, we've got to search for him. We've got to show up. When you show up, listen to me, church. When you show up, you should show up with something. Like, I've got something to give today. Oh, I knew he was going to turn this into uh, a, a message on giving, on tithing, on offering. I told you that at the beginning. Like, you cannot worship without giving. And giving encapsulates. It encompasses. It includes financial. We've got to surrender to him. We've got to sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? I'll never be more like the Father than when I'm giving. Say it with me. I will never be more like the Father than when I'm giving. I want you to look at this. This is the way that you can put this message into practice. The scripture says God loves a cheerful giver, a joyful giver. He loves it. As a matter of fact, it says right before that, do not give begrudgingly. Like, don't give because somebody's twisting your arm. Well, the preacher talked on giving today, so I'm going to give something in the offering. Oh, my friend, just keep it. Keep it because you didn't get it. You didn't get it. This is about worship. It's about worshiping our God. And without giving financially, you are not fully worshiping him. The scripture says to love the Lord your God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Well, I didn't hear money in there anywhere. That's because you're not listening with all your strength. You are only as strong as your bank account. Nations are only as strong as their economy. No, I thought it was the military, Pastor Rife. Yes, but you understand, the military has to be paid for. Like when it says our strength, it means our resource. What do you have to back up with? 
So begin worshiping him in these ways, engaging in worship privately and publicly. Like if you want to become a consistent giver, worship him in giving, or or worship, worship him publicly and privately. Worship him. Like when I say worship him, I'm talking about when we come into this place. It includes praise. It includes singing. It includes the posture. I've taught you about the posture. There is a, when you come before the king, you don't come in like this. Well, come on. I'm here today. Bless God. I'm here at church today. Come on, God. I'm going to pull me a uh, chair up, you know. Come on. Tell, tell me something. Tell me something. No, you don't do that. Not to royalty. You would never do that in front of Queen Elizabeth. You know, you would, you, uh, well, she's in heaven now, but you get the point. You know, there is a protocol when you enter into worship. There is a position, a posture when we enter into worship. And so when we enter into worship, how do we engage in worship? Like, if we stand there, I'm telling you, church, I don't know how this is going to play out with y'all. We are going deeper in worship next year. And can I just tell you this? And Lord, I know that there are people that say stuff like this to me. And they're like, Pastor, you got to stop saying stuff like that. But I'm just telling you, man, if you want you a nice little quiet church that, you know, you can just come and sit on the seat there and look. There's so many of those around here, but that is not who I want destiny to be. I want us to press in. I want us to fire up. I want us, well, pastor, you just trying to hype us up and get us all. No, what I am trying to do is say, let's worship biblically. Get our hands in the air. I just don't like that. It does not matter. You have not surrendered to the Lord. Well, I ain't going to do it. Well, you just go ahead and not do it. And you're going to hold this church back. I'm telling you, you're going to hold this church back. I'm calling for some people, man. Preacher, I'm going to serve now. I'm going to serve. I'm going to come out there and I'm going to get my flag and I'm going to direct people into the parking lot or I'm going to sit back there and type my little service report. Brother, I'm just telling you, all of that at the end of the day matters not in God's sight if we are not passionate worshipers. How are you engaging him? How are you engaging him? How are you engaging him in worship? Privately and publicly. I listen, listen, I talked to a guy last week and I'm like, dude, that is so smart. I don't know why I've never thought about this. He said, this is what I tell my leaders. If, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just need to have that kind of chutzpah. And so I'm like, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it from him. He said, I tell my leaders if you are not going to be a worshiper, you're not going to be on my leadership team. Because leaders lead. And leaders lead in worship. This one person up here is not the worship leader. We all are worship leaders. Because there's some 17, 16-year-old rife out there sitting and looking and going, I can't do, I can't do that because I feel weird. But if everybody is leading me and I'm looking and they're being my example, then it's so much easier for it to be contagious. Are you following me? See, the enemy gets the idea of momentum. The enemy gets the idea of momentum. The enemy gets the idea of positive influence, even though it's negative. 
He will influence and put pressure, and so we, sometimes we call it positive peer pressure or whatever. No, it's not that. We don't want that. All we want you to do is be an example. The scripture says this. It says, let your light shine. I'm just telling you, church family, when you come in and, you, and, and we're in worship and we're like this, you know, and I will worship, I will worship with all of my heart. And we're just, that is, the scripture says, let your good works shine so that others will see that and they'll glorify their father in heaven. When they see this, I will worship, but I don't feel like raising my hands. It doesn't matter, bro. Are you reading your Bible? Are you reading it? Because the scripture says, lift up your hands, O Israel, in the holy place. And lift up your hands, O people of the Lord. And sing a new song and shout to the Lord. Should we not be doing those things, church? Should we not be doing those things, church? So if you're shy, Sam, I'm calling you to become, uh, you know, excited Edward or whatever. I'm, I'm just calling you to a higher place in our worship. I'm just telling you, that's my desire for this house, to let the lid off, let the praise off. Can, I don't, man, I'm telling y'all, this is prophetic, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm following the, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit because none of this was in the message. None of this was in the message. But I'm going to tell y'all, so you can be praying with us. We need more musicians, and we need more singers. Praise God, I'm going to volunteer tomorrow. No, if you can't sing, you're not. I'm going to bring my kazoo out. You're going to go to kids' church. Not, you ain't even going to kids' church. No. We'll find a place for you for your calling. But this is how you can. We need more musicians. And we need more singers. And we don't just need more. We need people who are passionate about going where I'm talking about going. That's what we need. So I want you to help me start praying about it. Call it as, not, uh, as though it were, even though it's not right now. We call those things that are not as though they were right now. So Holy Spirit, I'm calling forth the musicians. I'm calling forth those who are not satisfied in other places because they don't sense a moving of your spirit. Call them here, Lord. Be like the wise men, Lord, uh, unto them. That they don't truly know where they're going. They're just, they're just looking. They're searching. They're following your presence as they follow the star. God, I pray that you would lead musicians here. I pray, God, that you would lead, mm, I pray that you would lead singers here. Not just so we can have more people on this stage, but that we could have Holy Ghost filled. I heard Jesus say this to me this week for such a time as this. Those kind of people, Lord. I call them forth. I call them forth in the spirit realm. In Jesus' name, let the clarion call of the Holy Spirit go out to them and lead them here, Lord. Network us, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, two more things. If you want to begin worshiping consistently, then begin giving and offering and tithes. Pastor Rife, I can't even pay my bills. That's a separate subject. You can't pay your bills, and there's reasons for that. Some of them may be your fault. Some of them may not be your fault. 
But I'm just telling you, in my 35 years of experience, people who cannot pay their bills, there are reasons that you cannot pay your bills, and they are not because you don't have enough. It's mostly around how you manage it. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not telling you something that has not applied to my life. It has applied to Shay and me. And when we found ways to manage our money better and put God first, well, we've always put God first. Put God first. Let us teach you how to manage your money better. And in the new year, when we have a class on that, and you are constantly in debt, let us help you figure that out, and we'll show you paths to get out of debt. We'll show you paths to get in this place with God. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is just a disclaimer, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the very first thing that we're going to tell you when you get in there is God has to be at the very top of your budget. Well, I ain't doing that. I knew that was the, then don't come and stay where you are. You go ahead and stay broke. Do you hear me? You go ahead and stay broke. But if you want to learn some biblical principles about how, how to manage yourself and put God first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. On the first day of the week, bring your gift to the Lord. That's what it says. Begin giving offerings and tithes. Well, Pastor Rife, I can't tithe. What can you give? I don't even believe tithing is a New Testament thing. We can talk about that all day long. The end of that discussion is this. That's your excuse for not being a giver. That's all that is. So give something. Give something. You've heard me tell the story before where a lady in our church, she's like, Pastor Rife, we just can't. We can't tithe. We don't have, like we just, we want to, we don't have enough money. And I said, but what can you give? Like you're looking at it wrong. I can't do this, so I'm not doing anything. What can you give? Because giving is a part of worship. So what can you give? Like I see your, you, you know, she had a Starbucks cup there. And I said, I see that like this is a grande this had to cost like maybe six bucks, maybe seven bucks. What if you just, n not all week, what if, what if you just did without one of these? Just one of these. And you said, I'm going to give this to the Lord. Just start somewhere. I'm just giving you that simple example that I gave her. She started giving. She and her husband made it, a, uh, made it consistent and they made it a priority. It was nowhere near a tithe. They just began giving. And I saw over a period of time, they just increased until she was so excited when she came to me today. She's like, Pastor Rife, you're not going to believe it. Today is our very first day that we're going to tithe. We're going to give 10%. And they became consistent. And now that's just part of their spiritual DNA. So make giving a priority of your financial resources. And then this last one, Serving at church or in your community. Serving somewhere. A lot of times people do one or the other, guys. They'll either serve at their PTO. They'll serve at their golf club. They'll serve at, you know, this thing, their, their hunting camp. They'll go up there and they'll work all week getting it ready or blah, 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 blah. Yay, you. But, but don't do more for one thing than you do for God. Come and give God 
your, your, your body. Serve him with your body. I want us to just close in prayer right here. I was talking to somebody and Craig, he said that I could do this. It's a conversation you're going, a long time ago he and I had. And he said, Pastor Rife, you can use me as an example, whether it's a good example or a bad example. And so Craig, here's a bad example of you. It's really not a bad example, but it's a real and a transparent example. And he said, Pastor Rife, I love how you always end the message with a here's what you can do application. And he said, I don't always do those. But I do them a lot of times. And I appreciate uh, Craig's honesty. And, but here's the deal. It doesn't matter like, it, you'll, you will not remember your favorite TV preacher's best sermon. You will not remember it. All that you will remember is, man, it was good. Why was it good? How was it good? Tell me the points. Tell me. You won't remember that. You'll just remember it was good. But here's what you will remember. How you applied it. Did you put it into practice? Yeah, I know I did because I paid my car off. Yeah, I know I did because I called my brother and we reconciled. You will remember the evidence. You won't remember all the points, but you'll remember what you did about it. Guys, all I can do is give it to you. Here's the bread. You've got to eat it. You've got to consume it. It's got to become part of your DNA. What part of this will you do? The Lord has spoken to us today. What are we going to do about it? We are just hours away from the new year. We are just days away, just what, week and a half or two away. We are so close to being into the new year. Next year, let's go into it with a different mindset. This is a, you know, Pastor Rife, we say that every year. Yeah, we do. But what if this year was the year? What if this year it was completely different? I'm telling you what, God's got some stuff in store and those who will partner with it, there's going to be an incredible harvest that's going to come your way. And I am going to, to partner with what the Lord is saying to the church.